Good morning, everybody. Nice to see you today. How's everybody doing? Good. You look marvelous, so that's good. Uh, Hey, let's say good morning to our friends in the family room today. Nice to see you guys over there. Yeah? Glad you're here. In case you're new with us, you don't know what that's about. We have another room across the way that's got another worship gathering going on right this minute. So glad to have you guys with us. Uh, Let's see. Hey, any veterans in the house today? Why don't you stand up? You're a veteran. Why don't you stand up? Thank you to all of you. I know we say this time of year, you, you probably hear this from some people. I know if you, go to the, if you go to the Veterans Day Parade, you hear this, but we appreciate you and the service you provided to our country, so thank you for that. And I, I know you can hear that and go, well, everyone says that, but I, I know this room, I know this group of people, they're like, man, we appreciate what you've done, so thank you very much for that. Uh, what's going on from the background? Nothing. Never mind. Okay, I don't know what that was about. <laughs> Uh, some commotion in the tech booth. Uh, let's see. Oh, so last weekend, last, last weekend, uh, bet- after one of our worship gatherings, I'm standing out in the lobby, and I'm um, talking to one of our young fathers here at Lakeside, a guy I've known for quite a while, and we're having a nice little conversation. And then his little daughter runs up to us, kind of across the lobby. She's three or four years old, something like that. And she runs up, and you know how when kids that age, they're, they're running toward like two people, two adults, they veer toward their parent? Well, all of a sudden, she veers toward me. And that, that, you know, that can mean she got the wrong pair of legs to lock onto. That sometimes happens. But in this case, she, she looks at me and she runs right straight toward me. And then in a nice loud voice so that everyone in the lobby could have heard this, she goes, can I touch your forehead? <laughs> Captivated by the wonder of baldness, I guess. I mean, I don't know if you, you know, if you're never, if you're always around people with hair, what, you know, what is that? It's, can I touch it? I want to touch it. And I don't know if it's just like, this is a new thing, you know, or if this is a thing that goes, hey, it's cool. My, my pastor has a bald head. I want to touch it, you know, and I, she just wants to get to know her pastor better. You know, maybe that's cool. I don't know. Now some of you are like, I'm going to go to all the bald guys and go, I'm going to touch your head. Yeah, she wanted. She did bless me. It was fantastic. Oh, we're gonna have interactive today. This is cool. All right. <laughs> uh, it, one of the wonders of life is that God wants you to know Him. He wants you to know Him. But it's hard because you can't just run to God and go, "Hey, God, could I touch your forehead?" You know, it's just like that doesn't work that way. And I don't know what you would learn about God if you could touch His forehead. I, he probably has hair. You know, I, I don't really know how that goes. But I know this, God wants you to know him. And I know this also, you never get to know anybody unless they reveal themselves to you. You only know people by what they reveal about themselves to you. Now, you can observe. So in your family, you observe one another. And sometimes what you observe in your family are things that nobody else gets to observe because we, we hold it in when we're out there. But when we get back in our own family, in our own household, we kind of let it out. So you observe certain things, but you still only know them by the things that they reveal about themselves to you. Because they could still hide if they want. They could still wear a mask if they want. 
the people that you know at work, you only know them because they reveal themselves to you. If they didn't want to be known by anybody, they wouldn't work in a public place. They'd get a private job somewhere where no one saw them. They, they telecommuted. No one ever saw their face. If they didn't want someone to know them, you only know someone because they reveal themselves to you. Same in church. You only know people because we reveal ourselves to one another. Sometimes we wear masks in church because we don't want people to know exactly what we're like in here. You only know someone by what they reveal to you. It's true with God. It's true with us. One of my desires as a pastor is to reveal myself to you. Uh, I, would, I like it when you know my strengths. I really like it when you know my strengths. I sort of like it when you know my weaknesses. And not that it's not painful to say them. It's painful to say weaknesses. How many of you like it? It's like, that's just painful and hard. But as a pastor, I, I do appreciate it when you get to know my weaknesses too because I want you to know as we're following Jesus together, I want you to know what it's like for someone who has strengths and weaknesses. And most of you have strengths and weaknesses. Right? right. Yeah, okay, yes, three of you. <laughs> the rest of you just have all strengths, so you don't know what I'm talking about. But as a pastor, my goal, my commission from God is to help lead you forward in this journey with Jesus so that you get to know him. And I think the only way for you to do that through me is not just by the things I teach you out of the Bible. I'm not just a Bible teacher. I teach the Bible. Actually, I, well, the way I think of it is I, I help people understand the Bible, but it's not just about being a Bible teacher. It's about being a human being who has strengths and weaknesses, who has fears and pains and challenges that are just as real as yours. But you only get to know that if I reveal those things to you. So over the years, if you've been with us very long, you realize that I've been a self-revealer. I tell you my story. I tell you sometimes when it's good. I tell you sometimes when it's bad. It's all hard. Uh, but I've learned over the years as well that sometimes the stories that I have to reveal are not just about me. Because I don't live in a bubble. I don't live isolated from the rest of the world. I live in a family. I live in a household. I live in a community. And sometimes my story that I want to reveal intersects with somebody else's story, and they're not that eager to have their story revealed. Like my children. I used to tell thousands of stories about my children. Well, hundreds. Sure, hundreds. And... Man, they, they made some great sermon material, but they didn't like it that much after they got older. They knew people that knew what they were up to. They, they knew that dad was revealing stuff about them, not about himself. But then I found out there were struggles with that because sometimes their story impacted my story. And I wanted to reveal my story, but I couldn't reveal much of my story without revealing some of their story, and it wasn't fair to them. So I've had to learn over the last 30 years to be discerning with the stories that I tell that reveal about not only me, but about my family. So with that said, I want to tell you a story today that's about me, but it's also about my wife. And I tell you this story with her permission, although she told me that I could tell it with reluctant permission. So 
So about a month ago, I was at a retreat down, in, uh, down at Dillon Beach, uh, north of San Francisco. About seven pastors from the community of Folsom got together, and we went on a retreat together. So now the, the pastors in Folsom has been, have been meeting together for prayer every other week for about 25 or 26 years. And every other week we get together and we pray together, and that's been a really sweet fellowship. It's been really helpful, I think. It's been a blessing to our community to have the pastors of various churches praying together. I think it's been amazing. But many years ago we said, let's just let's take this beyond the, the praying together stage. Let's go on a retreat together. Let's actually talk about one another's stories. Let's actually reveal ourselves to one another so that as pastors we know one another and we know what we're doing in our churches and we know how we can really pray for one another wisely, intelligently compassionately. So we started doing these retreats. So a month ago, we're on a treat down, retreat down at Dillon Beach, about seven of us, I think. And it's Tuesday, October 11th, we'd finished our meeting, our gathering with the pastors and everyone gone to their room and things. And I got a phone call from my wife. On Friday, just before this Tuesday, uh, she had gone to a doctor for a biopsy because she was having some problems. Uh, and so they took a biopsy on Tuesday. She got the biopsy back, and uh, then she called me, and she told me that she was diagnosed with breast cancer. That's just not, that's not a good conversation to have. It's, it's not good to have over the phone. That was on a Tuesday uh, October 11th, on October 28th, 17 days later, two and a half weeks later, uh, they did a bilateral mastectomy on my wife. And she's doing well. She's progressing well. She's recovering well. It's been about two weeks now since that surgery happened. And, um, and she's doing well. The kind of cancer that she had was aggressive, but they caught it early. And the cure rate for this kind of cancer in the condition that it was in when, Don, when they found it in Donna, the cure rate is 99%. So it's really good news. But in my marriage, there is one public person and there is one private person. And the private one is really private. And I know you see her sometimes, if you know who she is, you'll see her out in the lobby sometimes serving coffee. It's the delight of her life to serve others. It's the gift that God gave her to serve others. She loves to make sure you have coffee before you come into church on a weekend so that she knows you'll be nice to me. Mm-hmm. But she's private, and so when this all came down, She's like, I don't want you to tell anybody. I'm like, how do you hold that in? And I've spent my whole adult life as a pastor inviting people into my story. Because I believe that telling my story helps you live your story with Jesus. That's what I think. But I, I'm crazy about my wife.
She said, I don't want you to tell anybody. I'm like, how are we going to pray for you? She goes, well, our family knows. Yeah. I say, can I tell the staff? Can I tell our church staff? I work with them every day. I'm like, I don't know how to go to work and not tell them what we're walking through. And she said, not yet. Okay, it's your story. We got to the, t- the week that she was going to have surgery, and we thought it was going to be on this certain day, and so she finally said, you, you can tell the staff the day before the surgery. Okay. So I got, I, got, I got all ready to tell the staff on this one day. I was gonna, it was night time already, and I was going to have to send it out in an email to get to everybody so they would know. And, and then the surgery got pushed back, and I'm about to send this email. I had it all written, had her approve it. And then she goes, you can't send that because the surgery got delayed. She goes, I don't want people to know yet. So we waited, and then finally the night before the surgery came, she goes, okay, you can, you can send that note. So I sent to the staff, and when she went to the surgery, and again, she's doing very well in the midst of that. And then she come out of the surgery, and now it's like, Don, I go, I get, I'm going to go back to church. You know, I, I do this thing at church, and I have to tell my story. And I know, you know, this is challenging for you, so we wrestled this thing through. And... Uh, this week, she said, I, I know you need to tell the church. I want you to tell the church. But I want to see what you're going to tell them. <laughs> like, okay, it's your story. So she's doing well. She's on the road to recovery. I don't know when she'll be back here to Lakeside. I want to ask you to do some things for me with her when she comes back, if you would. I'm going to ask you to do some hard things. Uh, So let's see how this goes. I want to ask you to, and you will do this by nature because you're wonderful, but I want to ask you to do everything you can to respect her dignity. Because her husband is so public and because I tell you stories about my life and sometimes about her life, then when you see her in the lobby, you, you all feel like you know her. But she doesn't know you all. And I'm afraid that's, I'm afraid it's going to be hard for her. So when you see her in the lobby, I don't want you to make a scene. But I don't want you to ignore her. Because that would be hard for her too. Now you figure that out. (laughs) I'm sorry to lay that one on you, you guys, but. I want both those things, and I don't really know how to get there. I want to I ask you not to say certain things to her. I want to ask you not to, not to come up to her and tell her your great aunt's home remedy for curing cancer, because some of you have them. You know, some of your aunts, they have those, and um, come tell me those things. I'll decide if she needs to hear that or not. Okay, how's that? Is that a deal? I'll, t- I'll take that. I want you not to come to Donna and tell her, Hey, let's figure out, you know, why God is punishing you. 
You know, it, it happens, you guys, and probably not from one of you, but inadvertently people meaning well, you know, misunderstand how God works through sickness and illness and things, and I don't, I don't want her to run into that buzzsaw. I've learned something in the journey, this journey, uh, about how we deal with people who have illness in their life, people who have, you know, you know they have needs, but you don't know what to say. For years, other pastors who are great pastors have told me, uh, when someone is sick, when you go visit someone, you know, they're sick, maybe they're at home or maybe they're in a hospital, when, when you go visit them, don't say to them, if there's anything you need, call me. And when you hear it like that, you go, oh, well, that, that kind of makes sense because what you do when you say to someone who's sick, you go, hey, if there's anything you need, call me. What have you just done? You just put the burden on them. Now they have to carry it. And it's hard. And everyone who says that means it with such kindness. It is such a kindly meant gesture. But it puts the onus on the person who's sick to carry that load, to call. And they never call. Nobody ever calls at the end of that. So if you want to meet needs, and there are needs that come up, you know, here and there. Not food right now. Food is taken care of through Thanksgiving. Our staff jumped in for that and said, yeah, you know, we're going to take care of that. I don't know how much Donna will be ready to, uh, you know, cook after Thanksgiving. And we can't eat the food that I make. <laughs> because. Uh, so we may need food till Easter. I don't really know. I'm thinking about getting the meal train going and just like, hey, let's just go until we say stop. I don't know how that will go. What, what you can say to her is, I love you. Everybody needs to hear that. That's a beautiful sentence and gift to give to somebody. What you can say is, I've been praying for you. What you can say is, God put his blessing on you. God bless you. You can say that. And then you figure it out. You Watch out for her dignity. She's not the public one. I am. And I think you'll figure it out. I have a great confidence in you. Okay? I want to pray for Donna today. And I know there's, for a lot of you, there's people, that in, are in your, people in your life that are sick and struggling too. And I want to pray for them as well. So let's lift up our loved ones together today, all right? And then let's hear what God has to say about revealing himself to us. Father in heaven, you are good all the time. Today is one of those days when you are good all the time. When our life goes crazy and when it goes sideways, you are good all the time. We are all so grateful for that. And Lord, some of us have walked with you long enough to know that you do not turn your back on us. You do not forsake us. You never do. And I'm grateful for that. I believe that. There are some, Lord, among us who are brand new to you, and they're just trying to figure out who you are. And they don't know where you are yet in the midst of an illness but, Lord, they will find out as we share together that you are right there in the midst of it with us. And so together we thank you for that today. Today, Lord, I pray for Donna. I pray that you will restore her to beautiful health. 
I pray that the day will come soon when she's back in the coffee bar serving coffee to people, helping them to be happy, putting a smile on their face. I pray that that day would come back soon. And Lord, I pray for my friends here who have other loved ones who are struggling as well. They don't have a platform to stand up in front and ask people to pray for them, but I pray for them. We pray for them together because we believe that your love is strong. We believe that you are a good, good father. And we lean into you today. Lord, keep showing up. Keep revealing your heart to us. Keep letting us know you. It is everything to us that you do. So thank you for that. We pray through Jesus. Amen. Thank you for hearing my story and her story. Let me tell you God's story. Uh, We've been walking together through Paul's letter to the Romans. And I just find it fascinating how God brings things up that are laid out. You know, he he brings all this stuff to me months and months before it's going to come. I know where we're going to go through the scriptures. I know what passage we're going to look at on a given weekend. And it just amazes me how he brings us to pertinent scriptures when the time is ready. So we've been looking at Paul's letter to the Romans for the last seven months or so. And today we come to the last paragraph of the letter. In the scriptures, there are all kinds of literature, uh, all kinds of genres of literature. There are stories and poems and prayers and prophecies. There are letters and statements of law. There are songs. There are proverbs. There are all kinds of, all kinds of literature in the Bible. One of the most crucial kinds of literature that's in the Bible is a little kind. It's not, it's not very long. None, none of these is lengthy. And they just show up sporadically through the scriptures, but they are known as doxologies. A doxology is a word of praise. It literally means word of glory. And they are these little statements, paragraphs in the midst of letters or stories or whatever, where there's just a little statement of praise to God. And when you come to the the doxologies, you come to the purest form of God's revelation of himself. When you come to a doxology, you come to a statement of truth about God that doesn't come with explanation. It doesn't come with background. It just comes. And it is God saying to us in his clearest voice, this is who I am. And we come to one of those today to finish Paul's letter to the Romans. Doxologies are designed to help us understand who God is and let let him reveal his heart to us. And so I want you to see this one in Romans 16. Uh, If you have your Bible there, you can open up to Romans 16. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some on the chair for you. Or you can open up the YouVersion Bible app. We've got notes in there. If you've got the Bible app, you go to open up the app and then go to the section that says more in the bottom right-hand corner on your phone. 
and then go to the section that says events. And if you go to events, you'll find Lakeside Church with today's date, and that's where we are. I've put some other examples of biblical doxologies in those notes today, and I've highlighted three of my favorites from the scripture. So if that's helpful to you, you can look at those later on as well. Listen to Romans chapter 16, verse 25, and listen for the revelation of God. Paul says, Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith, to the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. It's a doxology. It literally is a declaration of worship. It's about God and his character. And every doxology, including this one, is designed to be an orientation for life. It's designed to orient your life around the truth that God is God no matter what. Doesn't your life ever get disoriented? Let me ask that differently. Does your life ever get disoriented? Yes. It does, right? Half of you. It gets disoriented. When something crash lands into your life, like cancer diagnosis, when it crash lands into your life, your life gets disoriented. You begin to think things you've never thought before. You begin to wonder about things you've never wondered about before. Your life gets disoriented. Doxologies are intended to give you an orientation to life that says this, God is still God no matter what. No matter what. God is still God. That's what this doxology is intended to tell us. It's an orientation for life regardless of the circumstances. Doxologies are usually written in the form of a song. Now, some songs are, are more beautiful than others. Would you agree with that? You hear some songs, you go, oh, I love that song. And you hear other songs, you go, not so much. And, and some of the doxologies are like that. The ones I highlighted in the app today is like, these are beautiful doxologies. They're so poetic and majestic and they're amazing. And then I read this one. I'm like, wow, it's a little clunky, Paul. I'll probably have to apologize to Paul when I see him in heaven. You know, it's like, Paul, I called your doxology clunky. He's got a really beautiful one in Ephesians 3. But this one, a little clunky. But it's a song. It's a song of praise. It's a song that reveals who God is. It's a song that when you sing it, it does something to your heart. When you sing this song, it shapes your heart. When you sing this song, which is filled with truth about who God is, it drives that truth right into your heart. When your life gets disoriented, when your life goes crazy, when your life gets messed up, what you need is to know that God is still God. And when you sing these songs, which are called doxology, he drives it into your heart that God is still God. That's why we sing in church. The songs we sing in church, they're doxologies. They're a form of doxology. They're a, they're a word of praise to God. And you, and you probably like some of them better than others. I do too. That's all right. But, but that's why we sing when you come to church. And some of you, you grew up in church, so you just think, well, what do you do in church? You sing. You sing and you listen to a talk and then you go home. First you get coffee. 
So you're happy when you're listening to the talk. You know, that's, that all that rolls out like that. But if you're, if you're used to church, you go, well, that's what we do. But if you come into church as an adult and you never grew up going to church and you come in and everyone's singing. Like, what are they singing for? You know, and then sometimes you see them when they're singing, they're like raising their hands up. Like, why are they singing and raising their hands up? That's weird. I mean, just face it. For you, you who grew up in church, that's weird. It's all right. Why do you do that? Because something tells you that when you sing those songs of praise, you drive into your heart the truth of who God is. That's why we sing. And that's why we sing some of those songs over and over. We sang a song today in the auditorium. I don't know. I didn't see the playlist in the, in the family room today, so I don't know what you guys sang over there. But here in the auditorium, we sang, uh, You're a good, good father. It's a great song, but it's, like, it's a little repetitive. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. Why do we do that? Because it drives the truth about God into your heart. When you sing it, it drives the truth of God into your heart. We did another one today. It's newer for me. I don't, I don't really know this one as much. It sort of meanders a little bit, you know. I had a hard time with the tune a little bit until it gets to the chorus and it goes, Your love is, your love is, your love is strong. <laughs> I love that part. I'm down here, I'm down here in, my, you know, in my section, right? Section, section, what are you guys, section four? Four, yeah. And so I'm down here in my section. I think of myself as a worship leader. The musicians don't let me on the stage anymore. In fact, they, they give me a whole different stage now, so I avoid the instruments. But I'm a worship leader because when we sing these songs, I'm like, I'm singing these things with everything I have right here. When my wife sits next to me in church, she's always poking me like, stop singing. It's not because I'm horrible at it. I'm passable at it, but um, she knows I'm going to lose my voice. I had a period of time here at Lakeside when I was having some vocal trouble, and she just, she'd stand next to me, and she'd say, be quiet. I'm like, no, because <laughs> I'm going to sing, because it's like when I sing those songs of praise to God, it drives the truth about God into my heart. I have to sing it. I have to sing it with everything I have, or it's not getting put in there. And some of you, you know, some of you didn't grow up singing. I grew up in a family that sings, so I'm used to singing. And some of you didn't grow up in a family that sings, and so, you, you know, you come into church and it's time to sing, and you're like, oh, here we go, i got to stand up, and they're going to want me to sing. And you're so worried about that poor person in front of you that's got to listen to you sing, <laughs> that you don't sing. You go, I'm not going to sing because the person in front of me is going to have a headache. I'm, look at, I'm telling you, they don't care if you sing bad because you know what they're thinking? They're so worried about themselves and the guy in front of them. <laughs> They're songs of praise, some of, the, some of the most beautiful, simple, elegant statements of who God is are recorded in the doxologies, and they give truth about God. And when you sing them, it drives that truth into your heart. Now, if you're just, just learning to follow Jesus, you don't have to sing yet. 
free pass for you. Because you don't know the words yet. And you don't even know if you believe the, th the thing yet. But once you start believing it, sing out. Sing ugly. Sing strong. Or sing beautiful. It doesn't matter. But when you sing that truth about God, it's going to drive that right into your heart. That's what the doxologies are designed for. And they are instructive. They orient our life toward God. They are songs of praise to God. And they are instructive. They are truth condensed into a song. Because you just can't walk up to God and go, can I touch your forehead? But if you could touch God's forehead, and if by touching his forehead you got to know something about God, here's some of the things you would learn about him. Here's what Paul lays out in his doxology. He says, number one, our God is able. He's able. Now, again, if you follow Jesus, you know, very closely, you go, of course he's able. You know, come on, Pastor Brad, get to the deep stuff. This is deep. He is able. We serve a high-capacity God. He has a high capacity to do what he wants to do. The word, the word for able that Paul wrote is the word dunamis. It's the word from which we get our word dynamite. And a lot of contemporary pastors will say, that means God has explosive power. And it's like, I believe that. God has explosive power. How do you think the Big Bang happened? God said, let there be light. And bang, there was light. Boom. God has explosive power, but that's not what the word really meant. Dynamite didn't come for hundreds of years after Paul wrote this. What the word means is that God has the power to be able to accomplish something over and over and over and over. God has the power to move that which is immovable forward. God has the power to move you when you are immovable forward. God has the power to move your loved one who doesn't yet follow Jesus. God has the power to move that immovable person forward. Our God is able. And God is able to make that which is shaky strong. That which is unstable firm. Because he is able he has that kind of power. Our God is able. The second thing Paul, sa Paul says about our God in this doxology is our God can establish you. He is able to establish you. Now, that's a weird word. I'm like, if I got a chance to tell Paul this, I'd go, Paul, that's not a great, that's not poetic. It's, how many of you have ever prayed, God establish me? People don't pray that. It's like, God establish me? Well, here's what he says. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel. The whole letter has been about the gospel. It's been about Jesus and his resurrection and how that works into our lives. And he goes, my God is able to establish you in the gospel. You ever feel shaky in your faith? We, do, we all do, right? You get, you, those disorienting moments, they come into our lives and we get, we, we get shaky in our faith. God is able to establish you. To make you rock solid in your faith in the gospel. You can't do it. I can't do it. I can't make myself strong in the faith. But God can make me strong. God can establish me. 
Add that to your prayer list. God, establish me in the gospel. Make me strong in my faith. Number three, Paul says, God traffics in good news. That's gospel. He moves in good news. He tells a good news story all the time. It's about resurrection. Resurrection. There is a resurrection of Jesus. It happened. If it didn't happen, church is meaningless. It's just a social club. Unless there's resurrection. There's resurrection of Jesus. There's resurrection of us. And there's resurrection of us someday, and there's resurrection of us this day. And we have a habit as, as Christ followers, we set one Sunday aside every year. We go, let's celebrate the resurrection. We call it Easter. But the truth is, resurrection is every day. God has the power to resurrect my life every day. And just about every day, my life needs resurrecting. Number four, Paul says, God is eternal. God is eternal. That means he is not constrained by time or by human timetables. That means God is not constrained by my timetables. You ever pray to God and then get impatient? Like, come on, God, I've been praying for this for like three minutes. God is not constrained by our timetable because he's eternal. Which is what God, which is what makes God high capacity. He is eternal. And finally, number five, God is wise. He says, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. To the only wise God, wisdom is being unconstrained by human perspective. You know what makes us foolish in this world? Is when we lock into a human perspective and we go, that's what the world is like. We get this little narrow focus and we go, that's what the world is like. And that leads to foolishness. And God is wise because he is not constrained by human perspective. He sees it bigger. He's, he sees it more bigly. <laughs> the perspective God has is really big. And the perspective you and I have is really narrow, really little. Wisdom comes because God is not constrained by human perspective. When the world goes crazy during bad election cycles, when the world goes crazy after those bad election cycles transition into the next bad cycle, when you get a diagnosis that you don't want to hear, When your world goes crazy, God is rock solid in the middle of it. God is still God. He is able to establish you in your faith in Christ because he is eternal, wise God. That's Paul's letter to the Romans. Oh, with one more word. He closes off the whole thing with one more word. Did you see it? It's the word amen. It means that's the song of my heart. 
Jesus, I pray for us today. I pray that these words would be the song of our heart. Truth about you. Truth about you, Father. Truth about you, Jesus. Truth we've learned about you, Holy Spirit. We want that truth to be the song of our heart. And Lord, today, together as your church here at Lakeside, we just lean into you as our high-capacity God. We lean into you as the one who is able to establish us. We lean into you as the good news bringer who is eternal and who is wise and who loves us like crazy. Lord, thank you for all these things. This is the song of our heart. Amen.